listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. chest when you're done with that <laughs> oh wow so that's a that's a great way to enter the uloft podcast i have something to say that was uh cool enough to hit record and caleb has something to get off his chest hey yeah well mine's so, a rant okay. and really not biblical whatsoever oh so. cool awesome an unbiblical rant that's how Fun we're going to start the uloft podcast yeah. that's man this is exciting if you don't know that my name is michael bond um this is the uloft podcast we record this every wednesday morning after the unite Right now, the Unites are um, Tuesdays at 7.27 p.m. at Summit Church. That's, uh, I almost hey. said Summit PA Church because of I'm always Everything. looking at the website. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's we, a, we are in PA, too, yeah. in Indeed. case you were wondering. There are lots of Summit Churches out there. So There are a lot, yeah. Uh, 2707 West Pike Road, Indiana, PA, Tuesday nights, 7.27 p.m., be there. And then some of this stuff will make more sense to you. Um, <clears throat> okay, so... What was I going to say? Oh yeah, we were talking about pictures uh, because uh, one of our one of our guys, Jake, takes some really sweet pictures um, during the nights um, and then sends it to us for social media and stuff like that. And one night, I decided I was going to cap some B roll with my iPhone 12 Pro Max and so flex, I, <laughs> flex indeed. <laughs> so I did, and then I walked up to Jake and I think Josh, and I was like guys, check this out. And I just started showing them all my B-roll and they were really unimpressed. Well, Jake was, <laughs> Jake was like, Hey, look at this. And then he showed me all of his stuff and I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, wow. I'm in the wrong room. Uh, okay. Does the, does the 12 pro and 12 pro max have the same camera? Yeah, they have like the three. No, 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 no. The 12 pro is missing one of the modules. So uh, this has three modules. When flexing goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I have all of the things that you have. Is that a 12 Pro? Yeah. Oh, okay. So the difference is the 12 Pro Max is just bigger, has a yeah. bigger screen. But the 12 Pro has like everything else that the 12 Pro Max has. So here's the more important rant for the morning. <laughs> the greatest <laughs> abomination on planet Earth Whoa. in however many years Earth has been around. PT cruisers. Oh my gosh. Would you say that it's an injustice? It is. It's an injustice. <laughs> and if you own one, don't come to United. We don't want you here. Oh my God. <laughs> like if you drive, actually, no, no, do come here because you clearly need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, oh my gosh. I was driving Man. behind one today and Coming I just, hot. I had to look at the back of that thing for like half an hour. As was I it drove the black and green one? No, it was a blue, oh, okay. like an ugly, not even, it was an ugly blue too. Um, and if the old man that was driving it is listening, um, get a new car. <laughs> wow. But, um, who, like who decided for, uh, is it Chrysler? Yes. Who decided for Chrysler that that was a good idea because I mean, they should be fired. Absolutely. That is a, I am with you on this. The PT Cruiser Just, is the ugliest oh. looking thing in the world. Like, there's a lot of ugly cars out there. But and they the, came out with the Prowler at the same time, which they tried to make it look really cool, like this Roadster yeah. thing. And it really is just like a PT Cruiser that has the top chopped off. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just like, you people need Jesus. 
I mean, 100%. So, sometimes, sometimes creativity can break the mold. I mean, maybe it was like a, uh, a bold effort. Fortune favors the bold, you know. Uh, yeah, not, not in this, this case. One. Yeah, this is pretty garbage. Like they took the mold <laughs> and they broke it and then they set it on fire and then they like did heinous things around that fire. <laughs> That's how I feel about so, that. So it's an injustice. Yeah. Hey, we're talking about justice today. Hey. <laughs> Continuing that conversation. Yeah, so um, if you were at the Unite and you're listening to this now, you know that um, we have launched into a series that is uh, highly sensitive on uh, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, um, you're very likely to be offended, which is probably a good thing because the truth hurts frequently. Um, and so we're going to follow up today and talk more about social justice. And as we can kind of unpack some of the ideas that were presented um, last night. And so maybe the first one that we can start with is what would you say to, uh, so, so we talked a lot about genuine authentic oppression or genuine authentic marginalization or people that are dispossessed by hierarchies uh, genuinely what would you say about people who are taking advantage of those issues and those problems uh, in their effort to acquire power and they're sort of masquerading as social justice activists although their motives are not really not for the benevolence of those dispossessed communities yeah so the hard part about it is it's like I can't go around to, you know, any of any of these social activist groups um, and ask each one of them and look into their heart and see the benevolence or malevolence of their actions. Right. So that's the that's the hard part about it. And I would love to just like write off um, groups. And in some instances, it does seem like the work that some of these social activist groups are pushing towards um, leaves a lot of people behind. Um, the, uh, what's the, oh, from Mars Hill, uh, the rise and fall. The rise and fall of yeah, Mars yeah. Hill. So yeah. the, one of the comments that the pastor makes in that podcast, go check it out, by the way, great, great, great podcast, is that it is good. if you're not on the bus, you're going to get run over by the bus, right? <laughs> and yeah. I feel like that happens a lot. Right. And it's like, especially, so for example, um, for a lot of these groups, so a, a big thing with social justice movements is, as I mentioned last night in the, in the sermon, it's like um, taking power, privileges, authority, wealth, um, and moving it from one group to another group so that they're equitable. Right. And in theory, not a bad idea. Um, and in the United States, that 9.99 times out of 10 says, okay, white people who have all of the power, privilege, wealth, authority, Um, We need to take some of that and equalize it with people of color, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when you have people of color who say this is not a good thing? Which there are many out there, right? Um, Do they just get run over by the bus? Like who who is it benefiting is a question that you have to ask, right? And and that's why I mentioned last night, it's like there's a different justice in the Bible. Like when Jesus pursues justice and he does it all the time, um, he does it person by person, mm-hmm. right? Because even Jesus, who is God, recognized that it's like, could Jesus have taken on the Roman Empire and stopped sex trading? Yeah, probably. Did he? No. Mm-mm. Right? Like, could he have stopped the slave trade that was happening in the Roman Empire, which was pretty egregious? No, right? But he did, you know, 
by person by person go and pursue justice in their lives, right? It's like the early Christians didn't do the same, didn't do that either. They could have fought, they could have protested, um, but instead, what they did is, um, when they realized that there was a slave among their midst, they would write a letter to the person saying, "Hey, you should really free this guy because um, he is now a brother in Christ." Right? Like we have literally a whole letter in the Bible called Philemon. Um, that is about Paul writing to another Christian saying, you have this slave yeah. who ran away from you, um, and I am calling on you to let him go free because he is free in Christ, right? But Paul didn't write to the whole Roman Empire saying we need to abolish slavery. And, you know, I'm great that that, like, this isn't to say, like, we shouldn't be working to abolish slavery. We shouldn't be working towards justice. But it happens person by person because mm-hmm. you and I— have limited resources right yeah and i i should be willing to give up some of my power privileges wealth resources to help another person but i can't do that for everybody right i think that there's a lot that's lost when these problems are approached at the level of the group or the demographic um the, the resolution gets too low so for instance we could say white privilege, but I think you would in in many dimensions be perfectly accurate in just saying majority privilege. So you would have many of these privileges that are so-called yeah. white privilege if you were Chinese in China, yeah. uh, you know, wherever it is. And so right. I think that um, you lose those nuances that can lead to probably the unfair malignment of uh, or the maligning of entire people groups. Right. You know, it's also to say that like black well-being is a one-to-one function of systemic racism, which is definitely not accurate. Like if you say that, then you're saying that all black people are like this monolithic community where they have no free will. They have no freedom of choice. Right. They ha- and, and that's that's the like getting run over by a bus kind of mentality. It's like when you start lumping everyone together, individuality, which is something that our country actually like really promotes, just gets left by the wayside. Right. There is no individual person anymore. Yeah, and I think maybe the reason why there's such a push to deal with these things at the level of the group or the level of the community is because that's where you can attempt to justify no longer the voluntary uh, benevolence that would happen, say, through the church or through individual Christians looking to be benevolent, looking to pick up their brothers and sisters who are maybe dispossessed by any given hierarchy. But when you're dealing with things at the level of the community or the level of the group, then you can say, well, the most efficient way to do this is through governance or through taking power or through yeah. taking wealth and, and forcibly redistributing it. And the problem with that is that you're creating a vehicle of power, of centralized power. Uh, and centralized power is not very efficient uh, in a couple ways. One obvious way is that um, it doesn't process information fast enough. So you even think about like the way computers work. They decentralize the processing of information. That's why they have multiple cores right. processing information simultaneously. So you have more process, like the three of us sitting here, we have more processing power than any one of us would have if we sat here mm-hmm. uh, by well, a lot. I don't know about that. I, I kind of dumb it down for you guys. No, I'm <laughs> oh, <kidding. laughs> wow. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. That's why you wear glasses. Though, uh-huh, right? Yeah. Welcome to Youthoft. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so and the, the other issue too is that let's just say from a federal government standpoint, the federal government can't know as well what a local community needs over against the people who live there, like right. the local government. And, and so a, a need of a person in Clymer, Pennsylvania with a population of a thousand people, um, limited resources, 
a few jobs right around Climber. Um, One-ish police officer. (laughs) (laughs) One-ish. Is very different than the needs of someone living in downtown Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you start taking um, and redistributing and giving equally to everyone, like that's not going to work for the person in Clymer or the person in Pittsburgh, right? Like the, the needs are different there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cost of living is different in both of those places. Um, the, you know, resources that they're available to them around them are different. Like there's a lot more resources in Pittsburgh than there are in Clymer, Pennsylvania. Right. But there's also a lot more troubles and, uh, stumbling blocks that get in the way mm-hmm. living in Pittsburgh than living in Clymer, for example. But, but I think you're, I mean, your question about like, what do you do with the people who are, you know, uh, I think what you're trying to ask though is like, what do you do with the people who are trying to uh, make a social justice push for their own good, right? Like that it's, that technically it has a malicious intent behind it, right? Like you're saying, yeah, and I, what I would, do we, what do we do with those, with those kinds of people or what do we do with that kind of action? I would even go one level deeper and say that they're, they're looking at a real problem so, for instance, they're looking at dispossessed communities of color, and mm-hmm. they're saying, "Okay, there's a real problem here." And, and there is. Agree there's a real problem there. Yeah. But they're but they're instead of working for the well-being of that community, they are using that as a uh, justification for um, what would otherwise be unjustifiable power grabs. And I think you can tell sometimes. Um, whether or not there's a bad actor behind these things by the outcomes of their movement of whatever Mm -hmm. their movement is. If their movement leads to cities being burned, if their movement leads to murders, um, you have to ask yourself, are they really actually interested in social justice or are they pursuing something else? Well, I think, sorry, I think that one of the questions and I think where it's hard to answer this question is, um, you have to look at the heart, right? The heart of the individuals, like the heart of the individuals that make up the movement. And I think to your point where you said, you know, you just get run over by the bus. Like, I think there are actually some people in, in specific movements that do have the right heart, but Mm -hmm. in order to not get run over by the bus, (laughs) in order to not be trampled, uh, they just are in the mob mentality of, uh, this is what everybody else is doing around me. I I better do it too, or else I'm going to get run over or I'm not really truly a justice warrior. Like, you know, like within fear of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, it's a hard question to answer of what do we do with that? Or, or how do we take that? Because I believe, I truly believe that, well, I don't, I don't want to put a number on it, but I'm going to, Uh, I would say that, you know, 80 to 90% of people who start um, a movement or who have a passion to join a movement uh, for justice, I think do it with the right intentions because they, they see that something is inherently wrong and they want to bring, uh, they want to bring that to justice. They want to make that right. But the problem is, is that as they start to do that, they start to see people are listening to me. I have power. I have authority here. Like, and I think that's where you have to look at the heart. I think the heart can shift in that moment and it be, can, it can become malicious where it did not start that way. And I think that's where us as individuals, us right now talking, you right now listening, as individuals, we have to examine our own hearts even. And we have to say, what is the point for me to be a part of this? And then we have to examine even who is leading us, right? Like with mm-hmm. any movement, 
you have to examine who is leading me right now. And are they really, am I really aligned with them? Like of everything that they're doing here, am I really aligned with that? Um, For instance, and I know we weren't going to go into this, um, uh, yet on this podcast, we're going to do another podcast where we look at different um, social justice movements and kind of look at their beginnings and their foundations. But one of the um, one of the main problems that some people have with the Black Lives Matter movement is the fact that on their website it says that they want to basically eradicate the nuclear family, like mom, dad, kids, like they want to eradicate that and. That's where you have to look. If you if you uh, have joined the Black Lives Matter movement or you uh, endorse that or whatever, you have to look at that and say, "Wait a second, do I believe all that they believe? Right. Like, am I am I really on board with everything that they're trying to do, or am I just on board for the fact that there needs to be justice and equality somewhere here along the lines?" Well, you know, and that begs the question: Can you be a part of something without supporting everything in it? I mean, I think you can, um, but. Kendall, you identified another really important reason why we should not centralize power in really any organization. I mean, sometimes I think there's advantages to it. Uh, We can talk about that too. But so uh, the idea that if you centralize power, uh, you create incentive structures for yes men to come into orbit of the person who has the power. So we talk about this sometimes in the context of church. If you have like a celebrity high powered pastor um, who even being associated with this person is going to lift your resume and is going to get you paid. Right. uh, You're going to have a tremendous incentive to not say no to that guy you know, no matter what he's doing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. We could probably figure out a way to make this, you know, are you really wrong? All this stuff just because your salary depends on you saying that. And I think we saw a lot of this surrounding Stalin. Um, He was so terrifying that uh, people around him would just say yes to the stuff that he would say. And then that further uh, deepened his disrespect for humanity itself. Like he's, you know, if you know that you're lying to somebody, if you know that what you're saying is nonsense and you say it to them, maybe a whole group of people around you and they just eat it up, uh, like you're going to lose respect for them. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the problems I think. Or if you don't know history, another great example of this that most people know, I can think of no better example of centralized power doing exactly those things mm-hmm. but the galactic empire in star wars right? <laughs> you know your history yes <laughs> like if you don't know who the, who the heck stalin is you probably know who um or palpatine is right and it's like his centralized power to the nth degree <laughs> oh my gosh that's awesome yeah. and yeah you know some things worked for them like it you know they could get work done but on the other hand everyone around him was just a yes man because if not they're toast And so um, we can think about like, okay, what about the temptation to be able to get stuff done? It's like, okay, we have a leader, so he's going to get stuff done. He's going to, he's a strong man. He's going to do some stuff. And that's not limited to the left. I can think of one prominent uh, uh, figure on the right who uh, people were attracted to for this very (laughs) reason. And so like, okay, so you think to yourself, all right, well, I'm so tired of government being inefficient, of being slow, of not being able to solve problems. We need to put somebody there who can get things done and get things done quick. Well, there's a problem with that, okay? And the problem is that when you make a change to a system, uh, you're probably ushering in many, many negative, unforeseen consequences of your change. So if you have a system that works pretty well uh, most of the time and 
look, the United States is the world's foremost superpower economically, militarily, uh, in terms all of the Socially, prosperity yeah. markers are up. Most people don't know that, like they because of the the mental wellness issues that mm-hmm. that are also up. Um, they think that that's a direct consequence of the markers of prosperity being down, but that's not the case. The markers of prosperity are up. Steven Pinker did a really great job in his book, Enlightenment Now, talking about the markers of prosperity and how they've never been better than they are in the West right now in terms of like serious, just physical material prosperity, the net gain, the rising tide that has lifted all boats, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Okay. So if you change things in that system, okay, if you make changes, especially if you make changes on a whim or changes that are too low resolution that don't account for the consequences of that particular change, you're going to usher in tremendous negative consequences that you didn't see coming. And the, uh, you know, there's so much talk about the system being bad or racist or oppressive or whatever it is. And there's never any talk about the things which that system is currently protecting us from right now, that if you take those walls down, those, those monsters are going to come in and eat you. Okay. And so I say all that to say that it should be advantageous for us to a decentralize the power and B have enough resolution on any given problem. And this is why I think it has to happen. Like you said, Caleb, at the level of the individual, because when you're working with an individual, yeah. you can tell what's wrong with them. Yeah. You can tell what's wrong in their life. If there are uh, authentic modes of oppression that are holding yep. them down, you can identify them. Well, and I can give you a really good example of this. When I was doing some prison ministry, when I was in divinity school, um, so mandatory minimums um, negatively affect people of color drastically more than they do uh, white people, right? The statistics are that is true. So, um, people who get caught with drugs, selling them, having them, whatever, the mandatory minimums are slapped on them significantly higher um, than white people. Um, despite the fact that white people uh, sell and have drugs at the same exact rates as people of color, right? Fun fact. Um, but one of the best things, so it's hard to undo mandatory minimums because they're in federal law, but a judge at an individual level can totally disregard mandatory minimums if they want, right? So an individual judge looking at individual cases can have leniency as much as they want, right? They can toss out a case completely if they wanted to, right? And it's like, okay, so if every individual judge was looking at individual cases and seeking justice, man, a lot of good could happen mm-hmm. from that, right? Like, it's hard to undo all of those laws, but those judges on an individual level looking at a particular person and those cases and saying, you know what? I think you deserve a little bit of grace. Does significantly more good for that problem, right? Than just getting rid of a, a law, right? Because mm-hmm. who knows what those unintended consequences are. And that is on an individualistic level. But if every individual judge for every individual case was more gracious in those moments, a lot of good prison reform would happen. Yeah. And I think that in most cases of injustice, I think that's, that's, that's a really good point, Caleb, because when what happened in Minneapolis last year, when George Floyd was killed, and there was this tremendous push uh, against the injustice of that. Yeah. It should have been focused on the Minneapolis Police Department. 
It should have been right. focused on that particular precinct, on that particular individual. Like what went wrong there that allowed him to be, that allowed that circumstance, that situation to arise. Right. Um, but well, and the thing was, so Minneapolis has had the Minneapolis, the police department, right? So 2018, I had mentioned Thurman Blevin, um, who I was there for, um, was murdered by the police. Like, I don't know what's going on in Minneapolis police <laughs> department, but like they have murdered a lot of people of color that have resulted in things like this, right? Horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And in this case, um, some justice was served, right? Uh, with George Floyd. Um, but also keep in mind, I think part of the reason that this expanded so much was um, there were like six high profile cases that happened all around the country within like three months, right? Like Breonna Taylor was pretty recent to that. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, what a, that was a horrible injustice, right? Like everything about that was wrong. Um, I can't remember the, um, I think it was in Florida, um, a, a black teenager was shot and murdered. Um, not, not the Trayvon Martin one, but um, most recently, just like two years ago. Like there were a lot of profile cases that were leading to this and the world and the United States was saying, I think in that moment, yeah, this is happening in Minneapolis in terrible degrees. Um, and because of that, we're also seeing it here and here and here and here and here. And that's how it started to expand to what it was. Um, and honestly, kind of rightfully so mm -hmm. in some degree, in some sense, right? It's like, this is not isolated in just one place, obviously. Like most of our major cities are dealing with this very problem. And that is a problem, right? And so it, it, it expanded because there are, uh, there was one uniting story that was connecting all of these like disconnected stories into um, police brutality, right? And there does seem to be cases of police brutality. All of those were cases of police brutality, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. okay, we have we have this one focus now, and we can connect all of these stories and therefore make all of them individually significantly more powerful. Um, and I think that's kind of how we got where we were, where we ended up in June of last year. Well, in July of last year. Yeah. Yeah, the expansion, <clears throat> certainly the positive impact of that expansion to raise the awareness enough to where these other cases didn't get swept under the rug or yeah, didn't go that was un a good thing. unnoticed, 100%. The, the problem is that they took that, and by they, I'm using they in an obscure sense because not everybody that was involved with this uprising or this movement most of them probably had good intentions. Yeah. So, for example, the clergy that I mentioned that I knew from Minneapolis, that I literally saw their faces on CNN um, and MSNBC and Fox News, um, I assure you, they couldn't care less about power grabs. Like, they genuinely wanted Minneapolis to be a safer place for their neighbors. Yeah. So, And that is what they were fighting for. So how did they fumble this football then of... You have you have a, ra a raised sense of awareness, so you can see these cases now, so that they're not being uh, ignored anymore. Um, how do you get from that, which is a desirable condition to be in, to defund the police? Like, how did the conversation not be steered towards? Okay, what happened in Minneapolis? What happened in the Breonna Taylor case? Like, what happened in these specific areas? Right. How can we make fundamental structural changes to these particular police precincts so that we can ensure that these things don't happen again? That's yeah. where the conversation should have gone, but instead, it went to this this incredibly low resolution 
ideological statement of defund the police. And yeah. as soon as that happened, all that raised awareness, all that support, all that backing towards desirable, right. authentic social justice started to recede because people were like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. I mean, well, I, and, and you can't have high resolution um, uniting stories, right? Like the, the thing about you need a low resolution story so that all of those disconnected stories can fit into it because if it's high resolution, then it's limited in its scope, right? But defund the police as a slogan, it's like um, you could theoretically pocket any one of those stories that happened in a six month period within that, right? And in theory, like to say, let's, you know, cut some of the budgets of some of these places and instill them in social work and in better schools and things like that. In theory, that's not a bad idea, right? Like our schools across the nation, our preschools, our public schools are way underfunded, right? It's like, maybe we should transfer some of those things. Now, should we be very careful about how to do that? Absolutely. Should we do that across the board in every single place in the United States? No. <laughs> right like do it where it makes sense to do it and that low resolution picture was just like let's do it everywhere right like because it needed to be low resolution so that lots of things could get plugged into it like that's that's the necessity of a low resolution right and it, it actually ends up working against the cause of unjust murders at the hands of police because poorly trained poorly equipped police officers which is what you would have if you yeah. defunded the police by and large are much more dangerous than right. properly trained well and I, I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast i don't remember but one thing that christianity and like this defund the police have in common like at a core is accountability right like that's what they want for police at bottom they want police to be held accountable for their actions, right? And so therefore we need to, instead of saying, okay, if accountability is what we want to say, when police do bad things outside of the law, they are punished. Like I'm totally down for that, right? hundred um, percent. But the other thing is like, I don't just want them to be punished for their wrongdoings. I want to not have them do wrong things to begin with, yeah. right? And it's like, that's, if I it can stop something before it happens, that's even better, right? And so that's kind of where this redistribution, it's like, it's less likely for police to murder someone if some of the wealth that is held in these police departments is transferred to school systems and social work and, and um, lots of those types of things, right? Um, and that's where some of that kind of conversation, it's like, I can get on board with that in theory, right? The problem is, is how does that, who's... Who is the one smart enough to make that happen? <clears throat> Can't we trust them? And I have no business telling Minneapolis what they should do, right? I don't live there. I don't pay taxes there. I don't do any of this stuff. It is not my job. I don't know people there. I mean, I do know a few people there because I live there for a summer, but it's like, that's not, but I can make sure that what happens in Climber, Pennsylvania, that's the is key towards justice, yeah. right? I can make sure that what happens in Indiana, I know some Indiana police officers, right? It's mm -hmm. like, what can we do to make sure that um, these things don't happen in Indiana? That's my responsibility, but I can't, there's no way I have no business trying to figure this out for the whole of the United States. And I think really nobody has any business trying to figure it out for the whole of the United States. And, and this is like a, a very deeply biblical concept, caring for the community that you are in. Like if your community is not just, you have no business trying to make any other community just exactly. because you still have work mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Right. Like if climber is not just, if Indiana is not a just place, I am not working hard enough there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a, 
to go back almost to the original question of like, well, how does it get to that place? Right. Like, by the way, Caleb, what you just said was awesome and we could shut it down right there. Like, you know, it okay. is up to the, indivi- <laughs> it is up to the individual. It is up to us individually to change what is around us, you know, locally. Um, but to, to say like, okay, well, how does it get to this point? Right. Is I think one of the, one of the things that we have a tendency to do in hu- as human beings is that if we are scared or infuriated <laughs> or uh, unsure, uncertain about certain things, then we will, um, we will, we are, we tend to make bold statements or we tend to make uh, brash, brash decisions. Yeah, yeah. We tend to make overarching uh, <laughs> declarations, right? Of, well, this is how we're going to fix it. That's like, yeah, but, but, but how? Right. And so I think what ends up happening here is I think, honestly, you saw a large group of people, a community, honestly, um, uh, that are scared. That is, I mean, that is scared. Like, I yeah. mean, I, I know I know black women, moms, who are scared for their kids, for their sons, and they don't know what to do. And so, yeah, defund the police. That The police are the ones that are killing our kids, then it doesn't matter rationally what else is going on. It doesn't matter um, statistics. It doesn't matter any of that stuff because I'm scared. I'm worried. Like um, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm angry about this. And so that sounds good right now. And there is no like I'm going to finish that. And and honestly, if you would look uh, within us individually, every human being does this. Right. When something and, doesn't go right in your life or when, when you want to change something, you might make this overarching statement of this yeah. is what's going to happen. But then when the rubber meets the road, it's like, well, what does that actually look like? You know, right. And if you're in a place where fear is and, and being scared is like the primary motive of how you're living. Um, I don't know if you've ever been truly terrified before, but your ability to rationalize and use logic is non-existent. Yeah. I remember one time I was hunting and a bear walked out about eight feet from me from behind a tree that I did not see. <laughs> and I assure you, my ability to think clearly went out the window and I froze, right? I couldn't do anything to think through, okay, what will I do in this scenario if yeah. X and Y, Z happens, right? Because that's what <laughs> happens. And if your life is perpetually in fear, which a lot of people are, it's like, I can get behind a low resolution picture I don't know how that carries through, but I trust people will figure that out. Yeah, somebody's going to get it. Somebody will figure it out. And I think that's the whole thing about like putting putting people in charge yeah. that you don't even know their heart. Right. So I think 99.997% of people that are part <laughs> of these movements genuinely have benevolent mm-hmm. thoughts, but live in situations in life where... And, and this isn't to say that they're not intelligent people, right? That's not it. It's just like when you are living in fear... And your concerns are, how do I stay alive? Um, how do I make ends meet? How do, It's like, you know, I can go about my day because I can go home and have a meal. I have a paycheck that comes in regularly. I have plans for the future. I have, like, mm-hmm. uh, a savings account. I have um, a retirement account, right? Like, I can sit down and have all of the pleasure and time to think about these things and say why they're bad and why they're not. If but that's because I am set up in a way where I have the freedom of time to do that. If you're working three jobs and you have kids at home, you don't have time to think about those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why it's like, I I genuinely believe the heart of most people in the social justice movements is for good. Yeah. And I think this is why the using the truth to indict 
the nefarious actors who commandeer these movements is so important because Kendall, like you said, when people are afraid, they stop thinking rationally and they stop thinking in keeping with the truth. Um, when what happened to George Floyd happened or any of those other cases, um, the, the reaction should have been, if, if the reaction was in keeping with the data, it should have been, wow, this is incredibly tragic. This is wrong. This is unjust. And this is rare. Mm. This is rare. If you keep it with the data. Yes. Okay. So, so here's, here's the deal then. <clears throat> it seems to me like there's two different forces that would, um, like this idea that police are hunting black people, this story that's been told essentially that, 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 you know, you need to be terrified for your life to the point of fight or flight. If you get, if you get pulled over and you're black, that story is being told by ill-intentioned power players, uh, predominantly on the political left. And it's also being told by previous generations who did live through the Jim Crow era in the era of, of uh, true widespread police brutality. Yeah. Um, and so you have these stories passed down and then you also have these stories coming from the sense making apparatus that is politically left. And then, so what you end up having is a situation where uh, a police interaction becomes much more dangerous now because the person being pulled over believes that they're in danger. And a person right. who's in danger is not thinking rationally anymore. A person who's in danger is going to be in fight or flight. It is incredibly important for the well-being of people who are, you know, would be under the boot of oppression, let's say, uh, to tell the truth about these interactions, to tell the truth about the data, to tell the truth about the relative rarity of these things, because that's how you de-escalate. Yeah, that's how you prevent George Floyd. Right. Well, and then, so one of the questions that a lot of these places a lot of these groups are asking, a lot of these cities are asking, is it on the citizen to de-escalate situations or is it on the police officer to de-escalate situations? It should be on the police officer. It That's where I see it. Yeah, yeah right? So exactly. it's like when I get pulled over, I know I'm not going to be in life-threatening situations. And even then, like my knuckles are crunched around the steering wheel because it's like, crap, I got to pay a fine. Like just the fact that I'm meeting with a police officer like brings out stress in somebody, right? Automatically. So I should not be the one obligated to not be in that state of um, fear or high stress or all of those things. Yeah, because you're, you're not trained for that. Yeah, right. I'm not. Police officers, and this is part of what like all of these movements are trying to get. It's like police officers are way undertrained in a lot of places for mm -hmm. these types of things, right? So with the Thurman Blevin case, um, he was sitting on a curb. They had got a call that they heard gunshots, um, and they came to the scene, and they happened to see him, his girlfriend, and the baby, and they also happened to see a gun in his pants, right? Like underneath his waist, but, uh, and the cop got out of the car with his gun drawn. Like, how do you think that was going to go? Yeah. Right. It's like, why is it on him to not be afraid in that situation? Yeah. I, I mean, I, you, you're right. And, and that's, and that's, and it, this is like, back to my point earlier, it's like, this is why I can't do anything about what's happening in Minneapolis, but maybe I can do something about what's happening here in Indiana. Right. And I don't, so far, I don't know of any of cases where that has happened here in Indiana, but if that did happen in Indiana, like I would be seeking justice in the midst of that. Mm -hmm. Right. You can, I can guarantee you I would be right because that is wrong. It is not on us as citizens to be the ones who 
um, carry the sanity and those and deescalate things. I'm not trained to do that. Yeah. And that's where it's hard. Yeah. Well, it is hard. And in principle, so what you're saying is a hundred percent correct. It is on the officer. It should be on the officer always to deescalate and to yeah. prevent something from spinning out of control. Yeah. This is why think, so you have a situation where, uh, officers aren't allowed to perform chokeholds anymore. Well, yeah. chokeholds are supposed to be non-lethal. Like a properly administered chokehold choke yeah. is always non-lethal. Right. Okay. So, okay. So they can't do that. So that's one less non-lethal, uh, tool. Yeah, so we have stripped a lot of ways for uh, um, police to be able to do their job and de-escalate situations, right, like, right? Yeah, so that's the thing is like, okay, so if you want a, an officer who's able to de-escalate a situation, you're going to need someone who's psychologically stable. So you need proper screenings for that. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you, if you create a culture. Which I think we culture, have allowed a lot of people to get into police positions mm -hmm. that aren't stable right. not right. yeah right not like even they're, screen. they're purposely going to this position because it's a it's a something exactly. that they think will fit their kind of motive of living and it's more aggressive and it's more authoritarian in nature and it's like oh that's not a i don't want those people as police officers like what we need to acknowledge in order to in order to arrive at the police officer who's able to handle these encounters and de-escalate them we have to acknowledge a few things we have to acknowledge that police officers are something like 18 times more likely to be killed by a black male than a black male is to be killed by a police officer. Okay, that's true. Um, and we have to acknowledge that if we create a culture that is anti-police, okay, those are human beings that are going to be living under much more stress and pressure now. If we take away qualified immunity, then it's like, okay, well, if I step this way or I step that way or I make a split second decision, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. All of those things are landing on the shoulders of someone who, despite maybe being properly trained, is going to be more and more high strung right. at every single encounter. We also yeah. have to acknowledge the fact that there are far more guns in this country than there are people. So when you're going to pull someone over, uh, it's not the same as pulling someone over in Europe. Yeah. And the chances of them having a weapon are much, much higher here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, like, it's crazy because the, the target of the movement seems to be the uh, the good target and we can all agree on the target yeah. but the pathway to get there is just nonsense taking away support from police in order to get better policing right makes no, no sense. sense and that's one of the things that i think like when we talk about social justice in general uh it is super important to point out the people who are not interested in justice and to call them out and to and to place their case in contrast to the truth so that we can see uh, the, either the areas where they're not telling the truth unintentionally or where they're not right. telling the truth intentionally. Because those efforts are 100, 1,000% going to undermine uh, the right. future of justice in the West, yeah. as far as I can tell. Well, so one, and I don't know if this is a good place to end, but one question asked of me one time, but I passed a friend of mine is, if there will be no police in the kingdom of heaven, and we're trying to get that here. Um, we should be working towards our communities and societies to be places where police are unnecessary. And like, that's a that's a huge aspiration that ain't happening anytime soon, right? And and ninety nine point nine 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 percent of places that's not happening, right? It just so happens that like my town only has one police officer. That's just because we have no funding, um, <laughs> in general. But it's like. If our if if our societies were just enough places, um, I mentioned this last night that that mishpat justice and righteousness zadok 
go together nine times out of ten in the Bible, right? If our cities and our towns were places where we lived in right relationship, every single person with every single other person, police would be unnecessary. So if we strove for that, which is a good biblical striving, um, man, how amazing would our cities be? How amazing would our towns be? What I would love to live in a place like that, mm -hmm. right? Because that's, and, and as the church, that's what we should be striving for. Like we should be as churches in this community, both caring for our police officers so that they um, know that they're supported and, and trained well. Um, and we should be supporting people who are living in the fringes and under the thumb, so to speak, of like, it's like we're hedging our bets here because in hedging our bets, everyone's included. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. And it's like, I want to be a person who takes climber and makes it look like the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. and that is an aspiration. It just so happens that police aren't needed in the kingdom of heaven. Um, you don't need any type of enforcement in the kingdom of heaven. Um, everyone is equal. Um, people are cared for and loved. Um, the, and I, I say this and it's like, oh, that's really flowery, Caleb. Great, cool. I don't live there. And it's like, I know we don't live there, but we need to get there. That's what we're striving for. And maybe we will never get there here in earth. And that's probably true. Like, I don't think we'll ever get to that place here on earth, but that doesn't mean we can't strive for it. In fact, we should and are obligated to strive for it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the key is that everything is a matter of the heart. True justice, like you said last night, is a matter of the heart. Yeah. And we have to look within ourselves. It, we have to do it. And we have to be, uh, as we're looking at ourselves, we have to be able to influence the culture around us. And the yeah. only way to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, living in the fruits of the Spirit, living with the fruits of the Spirit, and treating everybody <clears throat> the way that we should be, that we want to be treated. That's I mean, good. that's really what it is. That's good. Yo, tie that up with a bow. Yeah. Tie it. And wrap that up. Tie it up. That's a bow. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Uloft podcast. That's a great place to end it. Um, you can come out to United Tuesday night, 727 p.m. at Summit Church. That's where we're meeting for right now. Uh, and if you hear this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it, please rate, uh, review it, share it, all the rest. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the ULOC podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at United IUP. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live United.